JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is a friend of the show. He is a former Big Ten Player of the Year. He's a former NBAer, and he helps me sleep better at night, not by watching some of the basketball we more than occasionally see around here, but with Aurora Sleep Clinic, helps me sleep at night. The lefty, Terre Haute South, Terra Dice, Brian Evans joins us. Hello, <laughs> John, Welcome to Teradice. I know you know it as Teradice, oh, just like I do. I'd be love me some Teradice. Oh man, I'm going back on Sunday. I'm going to see the fellas play over there and see what's happening in that uh, regular season finale at the Holman Center. Hey, have you gone to a place called Bar Bosco? It's where Simrels used to be. Have you been there? I have not. Last time I was over there, there was nothing but old Simrels skeletal remains. That was it. Oh man, just do yourself a favor. Really, got to go there. Well, it is. Tell me more. It. It, it's authentic Italian on Seventh Street. I know that there were some dudes that had an apartment above Simrels, and we had some hellaciously awesome parties there back in the early nineties above Simrels. So this is a great eatery, man. Go check it out. I'm I do. Curious. I do. That's. I was at Ethan Crawford, which basically was diagonal from from Simrels uh, by a block. 8th and Crawford, 6th and Deming, and uh, 606 South 5th Street. I'm telling Those you. Those are all crack houses now, There's no doubt about that. They were crack houses <laughs> before. I've got a great picture. I've got a great picture of me having a party. Uh, and I have the closet door. I took the closet door off because it was snowing, and the snow, there was no flu in the chimney, and the snow went straight down the chimney and landed in the living room floor. It was like Little House on the Prairie. That's great. <laughs> but I loved it, man. See, it's not like now. Now if you go to school in Bloomington at IU, you live in some, you know, brownstone. Right. Like, and yeah. and there, I got some friends who've got kids down there tell me what it costs every month for a, a room. Like your room is seven to $900. What? <laughs> You remember what you paid when you were in the in the snow house? Oh uh, yeah, I think I think I paid seventy five dollars a month. <laughs> That's what you get for seventy five bucks. And I left I left a check on the refrigerator on top of the and Emmett Munyan would come by and grab it every month. And I told I told Emmett Munyan I said as long as the toilet doesn't clog we're all good here brother we're good. That's paradise right there. That's paradise. As long as the toilet doesn't clog, which it have its issues. Because I, I live with a bunch of dudes from Greene County, because you can imagine how that probably went. Especially when you're talking across the river in Greene County. That's when it gets rough. 
So Those are the bad as the bad seeds over there. The bad we, we seeds. We the same thing with the Wabash. We, the West Terrahoceans, they're it ain't paradise over there. Okay. What is that? The uh, the name synonymous over there is it Degrote or Degrote? Yep. Right. Degrote. Degrote. Yep. They're the Degrote family of athletes in West Terre Haute. Yep. There's there's a there's a handful of good athletes over there. Um, a few of them were Degrotes. Yeah. Um, there were some other guys. There was a dude that was a relief pitcher named Derek Thomas. I think that he was he may have been from North Central and Farmersburg on the ISU baseball team when I was a senior. So he got he got he got kicked off or at least out of our spring break trip. We went to LSU and University of New Orleans, and he was caught by uh, Bob Warren drinking on Bourbon Street, and uh, he and some other player got sent home, I believe, from spring break. And then their parents picked him up, and they went to Florida while the baseball team got their ass whipped by LSU. <laughs> well, there was a guy that I played against that was a year ahead of me that was a pretty good baseball player, pretty good basketball player. He's- a six-one-two lefty, really good defender, kind of built guy. His name was Steve Skank. I won't ever forget him. His last name was Skank. Skank. I love that. Yeah, it was awesome. That's I may change so my name to that right here. The ride with Skank would be awesome. I'm gonna change it. <laughs> <laughs> I um, Rowdy Williams, who's a lawyer over there now. He was a little bit older than you, right? couple years, yeah, yeah. I was a sophomore his senior year. And Tony McGee, obviously, yep. who played in the NFL, was a couple of years older than you, man. So in Terre Haute South, really Terre Haute North and Terre Haute South, you guys had some talent over there then. Rick Petty and Scott Roberts. Yes. Were at, uh, they were maybe a year ahead, but they were good at North. Mark Heisel was there. No, we – there were some pretty good hoops being played there for a few years in a row. Speaking of good hoops, Brian Evans joins us, the former Hoosier. Um, what are we figuring out down the, the stretch here, beginning tonight with IU and Wisconsin? What do you make since the last time we have an opportunity to talk on this show about what you've seen since? Uh, not not winning, obviously, is one. No, it seems like um, it's just slipping. You know, every game – it just seems like it's getting worse to, to be down 20 to Northwestern at home um, to lose to, you know, that'd be at halftime to and give up 51 points to, to lose at home to Nebraska who hadn't won a road game in the big 10. It's just, um, you know, people are sending me, you know, statistics and I can't tell you the name of the, I, I'll send it to you, but it, it basically the, the, the story it tells this, this chart is that we are the worst team in the big 10. You know, we've cascaded statistically lower than Michigan, who's in last place. Um, but, man, we are – we look really lost right now. And it, it, it to me, it looks like um, – it looks like he's lost the team. You know, and that's – you never want to see that in any sport. You never want to be able to say the coach has lost the team, but that's what it looks like. How many times in your playing history – could you say, and not necessarily the team that you're on, just any team in general, where you could watch a team and feel, and accurately so feel, that the coach had lost the team? Anybody stand out? Yeah, you know, I've seen it. and You know, I'd have to sit here and think about it, but I've seen it in the NBA. You know, you get on a losing streak, and, you know, I was on a team that, um, my first year, and Shaq had le- you know left as a free agent for LA um, that su- you know the summer that I was drafted by the team, and I I, I saw it there. The, 
everything changed for the players. Like Shaq, (laughs) the realization, I think, sunk in about 15 to 20 games into the season that, wow, the big guy was pretty good. And he got us, he made all of our jobs way easier. Um, just because of his greatness and his dominance, you know, his strength, all that stuff just made, you know, he was drawing triple teams, right? So look at what that opens up for all these other guys. <clears throat> and, it, and it did, right? So I got there after he was gone. And I, I want to say we traded for Felton Spencer. You remember him from Louisville? I do, yes. Um, you know, and that poor guy had to, you know, fill that hole, you know, with, with Shaq gone. And then they traded him and it, it became Ronnie Cycli, who did a much better Ronnie was pretty, pretty daggone good. Um, but what happened was the guys, <laughs> the players started pointing fingers at each other. And, like, you know, everyone's job just got so much harder. And then at, at some point in time, it's like the fingers start pointing at the coach. And the co- in the NBA, the coach is the first guy that goes. And um, so I kind of saw that, you know, guys that kind of quit on him. And, and in order to get a, a new guy in there, they just kind of stopped playing. And, you know, so I, I was a part of a team that I feel like, kind of turned on the coach or just just decided that, you know, we, we can't take the blame ourselves, so we're going to put it on him. That's a, that's a little bit different. But I've seen it more in the NBA where you just know that the guys know they can they can force change. And, you know, that's I think it's different than college. But in the NBA, if guys stop playing for a guy, that guy is going to be gone real fast. It's a former Hoosier Brian Evans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I pointed this out and – and I guess you can speak to this as guys you know, quitting on their coach, but there are times they go through stretches with such a profound lack of of effort, determination, juice, drive, however you want to cliche describe it. And I, I think that points the finger. It is exactly what you're talking about right here. That's exactly how it looks in terms of these guys with their coach and the motivation that they're getting. Well, and as a fan, and, and as I watch it, it, it's even more frustrating. When now, as a as a fan base, we all have a pretty good idea, maybe not exact dollars, but we know they're getting paid, and some of them are getting paid a lot, and the ones that you know are not performing for us, and and maybe when we're questioning their effort, to to think that they're you know, they're living the life of rock stars on campus. That just gets under. I don't know how it is for everybody else. Sure. But that bugs me. I mean, it bugs me thinking we're not getting the effort that we deserve. And these guys are making a pile of money. They're out earning off us. And we're, yeah. We're working every day. Yeah. Going home and watching them and going, these guys are getting paid more than us and they're not trying. Yeah. I And, and that's how, because Brian, these guys, they're talented. They have talented guys. But more times oh, than not, either either you can view them as not at all well coached or without the 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 desire that's necessary. But there's talent there. I saw a, uh, something the other day because now people are pissed, right? And and, and now right. stuff's flying. You're hearing rumors, and people are making stuff up about you know conversations about a new coach. I mean, I I, I hate that part, right? The the, the rumor mill sucks. I did see something that was disturbing about um, the amount of stars, like five stars and four stars that we have on our team. We have the most fi- the most stars in the Big Ten, and we are statistically in last place uh, across all the analytics in the Big Ten. That's a bad look, man. That is a that 
it ain't good for anybody that likes Indiana basketball to see that we've got the most talent. I mean, and I would say I think we have the strongest front court in the country. I mean, really? I mean, think about it. We got, you know, a lot of – Because very few play with a front court, for one. Let's just – hey, Brian, very few play with a front court. Certainly a front court of that size. Well, I believe we have 14 or 15 stars at our front, you know, two fives yeah. and a four or three five stars. I, I don't know what Renew was. I thought he was four. I'm not sure he was four or five, but dude, how many how many teams are starting 14 or 15 stars in their front court in the country? I bet we're the only one. Yeah, then the <laughs> they lose out, Brian. Brian Evans joins us. Does that usher in a decision that needs to be made, or do you think a decision regarding Mike Woodson already needs to be made? What do you think we are with that? Oh, I don't know, man. I, you know, I you got to put some faith and some uh, trust into the leadership, right? That they're seeing what everybody's seeing. You know, I, they're. I don't think they're watching a different game. I mean, they're they're seeing the stats. They're, they're seeing all the same stuff. So you, I think you got to put a little trust in the group that's making decisions that they want us to be uh, relevant, you know, and we're not, and we're certainly not um, I, losing out. I, golly, if you lost your last, how many in a row we already lost four, three, four. And if we lost five more, no, we have four or five more big 10 games and then a, call it six more games. Gosh, if you lost nine or 10 in a row to end the season, I, I don't know that there's a decision to make. Yeah. I think it's pretty obvious. When has that ever happened? I, I uh, uh, what uh, they've won two of their last ten. I think something like that. I believe two of their last ten. Well, I, I think this I, this sucks, right? Yeah. And, and that was a huge part of the risk of, of hiring one of our own. Is what if it doesn't work out? Yep. You know what? And it certainly doesn't look like it has worked out. Is how do you you know that sucks to to tell you know one of your greatest players of all time to pack his stuff that sucks you know and that, and I didn't like that was part of the risk of the hire to me and it wasn't just his re- coaching resume and they'd never been in college that was that was risk enough but the other risk is just this part like what if it's no good because man that's an iconic guy and a name and a you know that Indiana basketball myself I mean it's, it it means something right and. You know, it sucks if that's what has to happen. But that's where we are. It doesn't look good, right? No. I mean, if if you lose your last eight or nine games, where he's at a position now with three years left on his contract, where to go out and recruit the high school sophomores and juniors, you know, normally the agent would be looking for an extension, right? Hey, how can I how can I go into a living room and sell this mom and this dad? that I'm going to coach their kid if I have a, you know, two or three years on my contract. Um, and I don't know how the university can look at, you know, performance-based, you know, the results and say, let's, let's talk about an extension. I just don't see how that could happen. So we're at a crossroads. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Got Wisconsin tonight at 7 o'clock, 93 WIBC. Coverage underway with Don Fisher. That begins at 6. Uh, Maryland and Minnesota on the road, then Michigan State to close out the regular season on March the 10th. And then, um, you know, obviously a first-day matchup in the Big Ten tournament. And, yeah, that um, 
It doesn't look like anything. Nothing's been winnable as of late, and that doesn't certainly provide any uh, any great expectations as far as closing out the season with a win. I would have to ask you this, and Brian Evans joins us. You mentioned the leadership that is down there right now. Scott Dolson, for example. Um, where does he stand to you as far as where this program is and where this team is, that decision that was made, because you talk about the the leadership and the guidance. Is that something that, that you and others have lost a little bit of trust in, the way that this has gone with Mike Woodson, especially here recently? Uh, ask me that again. Ask, ask me again. Do, what you, do you lose trust with Scott that? Dolson? You mentioned the leadership down yeah. in Bloomington with the athletic programs in mind. Do you lose trust because of the way this has gone in Scott Dolson Scott Dolson making that decision or making any other decision moving forward? No, I don't think I, I don't think there's a, a I haven't lost trust. Um, nobody signed up for this, you know. I mean, it, this this has gone bad, and it, and, and and the product on the court is not what anybody wants. Um, not what anybody wants to see and cheer for. I mean, I'm I, I have a ton of concern for. Tonight, if if we're playing poorly, um, that they get booed, you know, and that they're chanting, you know, fire Woodson, and that that stuff, man, that hurts. That that hurts bad. Our our fan base, um, I've said this forever, is our greatest asset. They are. We we've got such a great fan base, uh, even through tough times. I mean, we we haven't. We haven't let's face it. You know, where are we? Where have we been recently? Not relevant. And yet we've got this great fan base that cares about this team and loves this team. Um, we gotta, we've got to trust and believe that, you know, and when we've, we've made coaching changes before, we've got to trust that they're going to do the right thing, that, that everybody wants to win. There, there's, there's nothing that's going to get in the way of us wanting to win and turn this thing around. And we've got to do whatever we have to do to, to make that happen. So I, I haven't lost um, – trust or faith that we've got leadership that wants what's best for Indiana basketball. We, we, we have that. that. That leadership exists. Wisconsin tonight, 7 o'clock. Again, coverage begins at 6 with Don Fisher, 93 WIBC. It is a, a Peacock programming element later on this evening. It is. and Former Hoosier, Big Ten Player of the Year, former NBA Brian Evans on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Everything going okay? Getting everybody to the bed rest that's necessary, just like me, right? Now you just keep you just keep talking about us. We keep getting uh, yes. JMV folks. They come see us all the time, and we I think we've I, we think we've helped a lot of your listeners. If you if you want to stop snoring, you got to come see us. If you're getting pressure from the the bed partner, come yes. see us. If you if you were ever diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea, and you were prescribed a CPAP that you hated and you stopped using. You still have obstructive sleep apnea. Come see us. We can help you. It's a simple mouthpiece. There's not much to it. It's easy, right? I used to be like Fred Flintstone, man. When he would snore, remember, and he would like blow up the roof on the house, and then it would fall back down when he would he, had, no, he would inhale. Cover, his cover would his cover would go up to the ceiling and then come back down <laughs> and then go back up. Come on, I was watching. We in 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 Paradise, It was like a three thirty. And 4 o'clock, it played for an hour straight. So I had just enough time to walk home from Honey Creek Junior High School, get some better cheddars or some – Better uh, cheddars, that's awesome. And a biscuit and, yes. my, and a, two Mountain Dews and sit down and watch an hour of Flintstones and then the Brady Bunch. You know, it's funny. 
You mentioned that. I'm a cracker guy. It has much more uh, of a diverse meaning now than it did when I'm talking about. But I'm a much. I'm a cracker guy too. Better cheddars and chicken and biscuit. Outstanding crackers right there. Well done. Yes. 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 No, hey, not good for you. Let's I'm not, sure it's not. Eat these as adults, but when I was 12. It was that was a big part of my diet. There's nothing good for us anymore. I remember in the 90s when it was supposed to be low fat and high carb to eat rice, to eat pasta, snack wells by the boxes. Give me that box of snack well chocolate chip cookies, and now it's all bad for us. We suck. So let me let me throw this one at you. Um, avocado. I remember like. My mom wanted me to eat it. I didn't like it. It was green. Yeah. Um, guacamole. My mom and daddy in there like, oh, this is, you know, don't eat very much. It's really, really fatty. And now Tom Brady eats like he's the greatest athlete still playing when he's 50 years old. And, and he eats, you know, 20 avocados a day. I mean, come on, man. How, how We were just being lied to. How do we? I thought Mountain Dew was healthy. Yeah, see, I mean, I thought every morning if you got up and had a, a Mountain Dew and a honey bun, a Hostess honey bun, that that was a nutritious breakfast. Because <laughs> they told us eggs eggs were bad. They were high in cholesterol. Eggs, apparently, in 2024, are like the healthiest thing you can eat. I quit. We stink, I, I man. Wrote, I, I, just, I still know it's not chicken and a biscuit. Oh, I love that, though. That and better cheddars. Like, the only thing I didn't like was like, what they called sociables. I didn't have any taste. It's like wallpaper paste. But the other no, two were money. Yeah. No good. I hey. could be talking to a Trisket occasionally. Hey, one of these days we got to head down to Bloomington and go to Buffalo's or something and hang out for a minute, all right? I was there yesterday, pal. Were you really? I was uh, I was through there on Sunday. True story. Nice. Yeah, because hey, my kids were opening in Carmel in a couple months. I, I'd like to have you up into my neck of the woods. Let's do it. I love hey, Buffalo's. Uh, here's what's cool. You ready for this? Yeah. They are going to um, wait the tables, so there's going to be a staff, um, a staff to you know, so you're not going up and ordering at the window and sitting down with your food. And they're doing beer, wine, and spirits. Well, they're going to have spirits at this what one, so spirits. I'm excited. I am spirited when you're talking about spirits, right there. Let's do it. All right, I'm, I, in. I'm I went, hosting you. Come on up. I went to Buffalo's in Bloomington and got a bunch of stuff before the Super Bowl too. My kids wanted to go. So we went in there. Best wings, period. End of yep. story. Yeah, and then we stopped on Sunday and went through there because my kids wanted to go to uh, Five Guys on Kirkwood. But my kids love Kirkwood, so I took them by for a minute. So there you go. The other place, by the way, is Cafe Pizzeria. Yes. It's, it's underrated. Nobody knows about it. It's a little sneaky spot of mine. Great pizza. I think the best pizza down there. Village Deli. Another one right there. There you go. All right, Sounds hey, healthy. let me know. <laughs> let me know when you're ready to go. We're going. All right, pal. You got it. Brian Evans right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Right, 239-1070 is the number. I got time for you on the other side, so jump on here. AAA Membership Lounge via YouTube Live. Thank you all for tuning in and enjoying. And on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, setting the pace is where you can find the podcasting. And a friend of the show coming off a disappointing game last night at Cambridge Fieldhouse and a pacer loss to the Raptors, Alex Golden, 
joins us again. Alex, thank you for the time. How you doing? I'm doing good, JMV. I'm glad you're doing better and back in the saddle. So, uh, I I, um, I was having a problem last week. I had a big problem. So I, yeah, I heard about it. <laughs> big problem last week. I'm glad I'm back too. I still feel like I'm getting texts. People want me to play a little hoop tonight, but I still feel a little bit puny. I don't really know how to describe it other than that. Just a little puny is how I'm feeling. Not quite what yeah. I normally would. Yeah, I mean, I think you just got to take it easy at this point. I mean, we know we could – I know you can still knock that three down, but, I mean, don't well, want to push yourself too much. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to call over to Center Grove and make sure they have some uh, uh, paddles, some, like, stroke or heart attack paddles, I think, ready. Some, I don't know if they have oh. those right now. I may have to have those standing by yeah, you, just in case. <laughs> Absolutely. I have those uh, just for my protection when I play at an old age at night. So I heard Rick Carlisle say this morning to Swebo that, you know, it's a learning experience. And I'm not making a light of that comment because, you know, you, you can't just say, hey, we sucked at this and we sucked at that and lack of effort and this and that. You do want to make that a learning experience. But to me, there have been so many examples of a game like that against a team like that this year that I think they're beyond the learning experience. It kind of just who they are, right? It's the team that they are right now. Yeah, I mean, they, they always say the right thing in the locker room, post-game press conferences, stuff like that. But I think actions speak louder than words. So, for me, it's like, yes, you know, Carlisle's not going to throw his guys into the bus publicly. I, I totally respect that. I get that. But, yeah, I mean, Halliburton's talked about it several times. Like, we can't let these games happen. They have to have a great win against Dallas. you got to come back and have a, a good win against the Toronto team. That's, you know, under 500, trying to make a push for the play. But, like, you're better than Toronto on paper. So, you got to win those games. The defensive effort was uh, very poor last night. So I, I just, yeah, I feel you. I, I think that it is a learning experience, but how many more do you need? I and, and you bring it up too. When he went to the effort category or out-efforted, as I like to frame it up, when you go there, that that's problematic. That's more than just being beat by a team that is shooting it better. I mean, when you're talking about just more effort on the other side, that's even more problematic to me, Alex. Yeah, no, I agree. And honestly, like, they've been so bad. They're two and nine now on the second night of a back-to-back. And maybe it's just a mental thing. They see it now. They're like, oh, we're we're in hot duty if we we can't get this one. But I don't know. I, uh, uh, to me, I just feel like at this point, the Pacers have to do a good job of, of continuing to mature. They've got a little bit more uh, maturity on this team by acquiring Pascal Siakam and things like that. But still, you know, Halliburton, I heard this on NBA TV postgame. They were talking about the, the performance from Halliburton and how bad it was last night. But they were like, he only was 2 of 11. Like, when a guy's really struggling like that, I want to see 4 for 18. I want to see him try to get his shots. And it just kind of seemed like he was just not in it. But, yeah, I – I, I don't know. It was a tough loss. It's not the end of the world. I mean, Toronto's been playing a little bit better. I think they're kind of settled in now with who they are as a team since they've made all the trades. But, you know, if this is a Pacers team that's trying to be a playoff team, and as your Carlisle said on the morning show, uh, trying to get top four seed, like that's what their goal is, you can't have mental lapses and, and, and you know, good experiences uh, and resulting in a loss like they did last night. All right, so Alex Golan is setting the pace on the Andy Moore Automotive Crew Pipeline. Two things I got out of what you just said. One was the ball sticking. And okay. I'm, not, I'm not trying to make this an indictment whatsoever of Pascal Siakam, who had a nice game last night. 
But does it kind of seem like we had pushed that off on, well, Halliburton had been out or, you know, guys hadn't been in the lineup. But does it seem like with Siakam the ball sticks more, or at least it has since he's been here, and to me for this team that is an offensive detriment because they push it up and down the floor so well. Is that just me seeing that, or is that something you have seen that is accurate as well? Yeah, I wouldn't say that I've necessarily seen where, like, with Siakam it sticks more because I feel like there's times he should be more aggressive and get the ball more. I, I still feel like a lot of the offense is still that, that pick and pop, pick and roll with Miles Turner and Tyrese Halliburton. I just feel like one obvious that, and this is a, a, a clear point, you can see it, I just missed that spacing without Buddy Hilt out there. And it's easier for teams to kind of pack the paint against this team. Not a lot of respected three-point shooters out there, aside from Ty and Miles. Like, I know Siakam shot pretty well here, but nobody's within five feet when he's shooting a three most of the time. He's kind of being left open. Same with Matherin and Andrew Nimhart. These are not guys that you consider three-point threats. And you, you can see where they do miss a guy like Aaron e. Smith out there for his floor spacing. But I feel like the big thing for me that's gone down, and this is probably uh, more of a trying to get better defensively, is the pace. I feel like the pace from the beginning of the year to now has slowed down significantly, and I feel like it's even gotten slower with Pascal here, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense considering that Pascal was so good in transition with Toronto. It seems like they're not playing to his strengths as much in terms of going back to playing more of a faster pace. And I could be wrong based on what the numbers say, but it just feels like their pace has not been nearly as fast as it once was earlier this year. And I think that, to me, uh, says more about the ball movement because when they're playing fast, that's when things get going. When they're kind of stuck in a half-court offense, I think the ball is going to stick a little bit more. It was weird last night. Alex Golden joins us. At, at the start of the game, they were still scoring, but Halliburton off the dribble, and this is was in high ball screen actions. You know, normally, he gets miles going You know, by virtue of that slip from the high ball screen. And a couple of different times when he chose to go all the way, or maybe it was Nimhart, who you kind of know is not going to get it to Miles when he's in that particular action. And Matherin is the same. You know, Miles, you know, hit early shots, but it wasn't in what we have seen the recommended offensive variety that normally gets everybody going. He hit shots. They started out offensively well, but it didn't seem like it was in the capacity that we're used to seeing, especially off that action with Halliburton and Miles. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I just think that Toronto did a really good job disrupting what Tyrese wanted last night, and it got him uncomfortable. And he didn't really, like, I don't know. He did okay. I mean, he still had seven assists, right? Like, that's not a low, low number, but it's low for Tyrese. It's pretty below average. So, I think that was a factor into it. And trying to get Tyrese off the ball a little bit more, the way they were, Toronto was guarding him, I thought was somewhat smart. They did it a few different times, but didn't do it enough. And I think they could kind of lean into that a little bit more uh, it sounds crazy to take Ty off the ball, but if he's being guarded a certain way and they don't have Buddy out there like they did before to kind of use him as a floor spacer, you know, initiate stuff with, with Nimhard where maybe you can allow Tyree to kind of be that floor spacer a little bit to create that space because Turner was excellent against Dallas. I mean, what he did was just phenomenal. He was scoring at all three levels. And it was kind of weird last night because I felt like he just really was not in the right position for where he could succeed. And I think Toronto got to give him a, a little bit of credit, but – Rick Carlisle even said it like they didn't do a good job enough making the, pro the proper adjustments to get their guys open. So 
it, it could be just leaning into a little bit more coaching wise to emphasize certain things. But yeah, I, I felt like it was Toronto just did a really good job defending time, making them uncomfortable and trying to disrupt that pick and roll. I mean, Miles had some nice pick and pops there in that game. It wasn't just like he was bad the whole time, but like, they just did a good job of kind of limiting what they could do. Yeah, I just normally they just get off the mark in doing that early in the game. That's kind of how I think this team offensively finds its rhythm. And they didn't take that path last night. Whether that was Toronto that took it away or, you know, they just made a decision to go a different direction. It didn't seem like the normal path that really gets this team going offensively on nights in which they're good. Yeah, no, I agree. It's 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 one of those things like that game last night, it's one you just kind of want to throw away. If you watch the film, like I don't even think the game was lost offensively. JMV, I really think it was lost defensively. No question. Yes. If you watch that game, like the transition defense was terrible. The paint defense was terrible. The pick and roll coverage defense was terrible. Like the rotations guys were late to everything, not in the right spots. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. So uh, yeah, I, I honestly just felt like if the Pacers could have, teamed in a little bit more on like, okay, we're up for the big game like we were against Dallas for the for Toronto. Maybe mentally they're a little bit more engaged in it. But it's it's been a large sample size now of how they've come out against uh teams in the second half of a back to back and you know I'm just I'm just hoping that eventually they can get rid of that. They only have one more back to back left this season. Uh it's a couple weeks from now on a Wednesday night against Chicago. So that's not going to be an easy game either because Chicago is a uh a team that likes to muck things up. So I, I think that they're just going to have to, you know, dig in right now and prove that this was just a one-time thing and they're they're playing their better basketball as the season comes down to the final 20 games. He is Alex Golden on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Upon the Neesmith return to the starting lineup, should Matherin have solidified himself to be a part of that when Neesmith is back? You know, it, it does make some sense because of how well he's played offensively and, and the things that he can do, but I, I don't really see the point of doing that, Jamie. I, I still think that the bench has been fine without Mather on the bench, but, you know, last night I thought the bench had some nice moments, but mo- most of the best moments came with Matherin with the bench, and I think that's kind of where the Pacers can, can utilize Matherin as more of a of a scorer in what he is because when when he was playing against Dallas, like he was not being a scorer. Basically his goal was to be, you know, the Aaron Neesmith role, uh, play defense, two threes when you're open, attack, occasionally get rebounds, but it wasn't like be that focal point offensively. I just feel like that bench lacks that type of score if they, uh, if they don't put Matherin back in that unit. So I think you got to ride it out with Nimhard and Neesmith, how they have been and just continue to let Matherin kind of cook as the as the guy in the second unit, the focal point for the Pacers. It's, uh, Alex Golan setting the pace, the podcast, uh, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline, here on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Defensively, they do this, and that's just who they are. I, and I guess it's probably more the results or lack thereof, but I hate it because they so easily switch outside and whomever they're playing – gets whatever matchup that they want. And that causes an issue out front. For example, if it's miles onto a guard and then you have a guard trying to check out the big below, that just doesn't seem to have any workable legs to me whatsoever. I know that's what they do, and I'm sure they're going to continue to do it. But night in and night out, I see that easy switching defensively as so problematic for this group. 
Yeah, I mean, the switches with this team, I think that they're not good enough defensively. Uh, you know, Turner against guards and switch is not great. Uh, anytime Halliburton switching on anybody, that's not good either. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I think you're right. They do switch some. But if you watch a lot of the game last night, they were in drop coverage a lot. And they were not doing a good job of, you know, stopping Toronto from getting into their action. They were kind of reacting more than, you know, forcing them to play a different way. They could have hedged a little bit more. A little, they could have iced a little bit more. So I would have enjoyed seeing that just because they could have made things more difficult for Toronto. But with the way this team is currently at, like even Siakam, I, I know that people really are kind of hit or miss on his defense. There's times when he really plays solid defense, but I also think uh, his screen navigation can be a little bit difficult sometimes. If you watch some of the film where he gets screened, it's like he's really – <laughs> struggling to get through it. And Matherin obviously is a guy that struggles with screen navigation, which is what makes Andrew Nimhart so special too, is like his ability to get through that. So I think switching is okay in the right situation, but they have to really pick and choose when they want to do that because too often they're going to allow themselves to be vulnerable with the mismatches they're allowing uh, for their defense and, and letting the offense have the advantage. Who do you think their best on-ball defender is? Yeah, I still think it's Nimhart. I, I know Neesmith is probably right up there with him. Neesmith might be a little bit more physical, but at the same time, I just feel like Nimhard is a better screen navigator. I feel like he puts pressure on the ball. Like we saw early in that Mavericks game, Benedict Matherin was guarding Luka Doncic, and that was not working out. So they switched it and put Nimhard on him. And even last night against Toronto, like Nimhard was just constantly being physical, whether it was, you know, he's guarding the ball right there or, the the Raptors and the Mavericks were taking the ball out of bounds. Like he constantly had a, a hand on who he was guarding, just making it tougher than like letting them know, like I'm here the whole time. So I just, I feel like his on-ball defense is very special. And that's what I think is going to keep him in the starting lineup over Matherin when Neesmith comes back and, as well as the secondary playmaker. You think the uh, trading of, of Buddy Heald and the settling in with Doug McDermott, uh, it makes this team a lot worse offensively? As we've seen, listen, it's not like Buddy Heald's tripping the light fantastic. I mean, he's had some bad nights and some good nights, but it is just the overall threat. I'm, I'm telling you with McDermott, sometimes they choose not to guard him, Alex. And he's a mm-hmm. guy that you, you should put out there and teams need to recognize or you want them to recognize they at least have to close out a little bit. But there hasn't seemed like that there's been much concern there. And I can see why. Yeah, no, I mean, Doug's been bad uh, for the Pacers since he's been here, and I hate to say that because, you know, Doug's a good guy, but that's the best thing you can say about a guy that's playing basketball. Kind of shows you where he's standing at, right? I mean, I, I I like the idea of Doug McDermott better than the actuality of who Doug McDermott has been so far with this team. Went out with an injury. I think Carlisle said he's going to be out uh, Wednesday against the Pelicans. So, um, to me, he does bring four spacing to a degree, but, yeah, nobody's going to respect him the way they respect Buddy, and, not to mention Buddy could actually put the ball on the floor too, which Doug is not really going to be doing either. So Buddy is a much better player than Doug McDermott offensively and defensively because McDermott is such a liability defensively. I think that it just kind of hurts the pace a little bit when he's out there. So if, I, if I'm Coach Carlisle, I, I don't know how you don't make this decision, but I, I just go all in on Ben Shepard getting those backup minutes. Uh, next to Matherin with that second unit, and I just pulled Doug completely from that second man uh, rotation just because I just don't think he's going to provide enough for you in terms of winning. You disappointed they had to go that direction. I knew I had you had Chad on, and I, you know Chad explained to me why why they had to do it, and and I know he didn't say this, but in in not so many words, I I just came to the conclusion that 
they felt compelled to because that's that's what Buddy wanted. Buddy wasn't going to be happy with his situation. But still, in terms of how you present your team now, it has made it especially offensively much worse. Even if he's not knocking down shots, he's a threat to be out there. And that's something spacing-wise that you can notice. And maybe that's a reason here or there why the ball also sticks. Yeah, I mean, Chad, Chad did a great job of trying to explain it without giving too many details, throwing any information out there publicly. So, you know, what, what do you expect? Right? I love I, mean, I love Chad, too. So Chad said a lot without saying a lot. I love it. Love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's good. That's good, you know, uh, that's, office, that's G, it, GM but. and 101 right there. Yeah, because yes. Chris Ballard will talk forever and not tell you a damn thing and then have everybody around here that covers him say that he's telling you everything. So transparent yeah. he is, and he's not telling you jack squat. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we know Buddy Hill requested a trade, and obviously there was reports out there, I think by Greg Doyle earlier in the season, that Buddy wanted a hefty contract, probably around like $25 million a year, which was just way too much that the Pacers couldn't offer that to him. So they did not see eye to eye. You have to wonder, maybe there was – you know, frustration in the locker room with Buddy Hill, like knowing he was about to be traded. Maybe he was making it a little bit miserable, especially. When I, I think did. that's true. I think that there's some truth to that. Yes. Yeah. So I think honestly, like it was more so just like, okay, could we ride this out for the rest of the year potentially, but is it going to be more of a distraction than it is going to be, you know, a solution to our problems. I think they kind of weighed that out and said, okay, let's do it. We're going to get like your favorite word, JMB, some draft capital oh, out here God. as well. So they got some draft capital. Maybe they did solve some of that locker room tension that could have been there. And then, you know, they just they do a good job of, uh, you know, going out and getting another shooter to kind of help provide what Buddy brought in terms of spacing, at least on the fourth, that second unit. But, yeah, I mean, the idea was it made sense why they did it, especially with the whole contract situation. But, yeah, they definitely – I think they know this, and they just – I don't know if they publicly admit it or not, but they took a step back overall on talent. 33-26 and 26 right now. Is this a better spot, kind of where you thought, or worse than what you thought going into the season? Yeah, I mean, I think this is better than what I thought. I mean, I had them around like 41, 42 wins coming into the year. So, you know, maybe they're kind of on pace for that still, but I think they can reach 45 wins. That wouldn't shock me at all. So they're in a good spot. I think they've played really good basketball. Tyrese Halliburton has ascended more than I expected him to ascend, I think. Aaron Neesmith has taken a huge jump this year, uh, something I didn't see either. And then going out and getting Pascal, like, yeah, they, they've hit some bumps in the road along the way just because of the Tyrese injury. Trading for Pascal, then trying to reincorporate him and Tyrese together. And I still think that they're figuring things out. It's been a little clunky. They've, they've found some good moments. They're a positive still when they're on the court together, which is a great sign. But they haven't dove fully into it. I still don't think Tyrese is 100% back by just watching the play. He doesn't look like the same guy before he went down with the injury. So, uh, we've seen flashes of it, but not a consistency of it. So I, I think they're in a good spot. I think they're going to finish. I would I would hope they finish top six. I, I think they can still do it. Um, they got seven games, I think, left against the top ten teams in the Eastern Conference. So that's not that many considering they have like 20-plus 20 20 left. So I think they have a good opportunity here, JMV, to kind of push past what the projections were earlier in the season and the offseason and, and kind of prove to people like, hey, they are better than people realize and they're going to be, and I hate—I know people hate this word—but a tough out in, in, the, in a first-round playoff matchup, just because you know they've got enough talent to, to win any series. I think. So I said forty-five wins. Do you think that that is truly reachable? Forty-five. Yeah, I think it's reachable. So I mean, would you question why I'm griping so much then? 
in terms of yeah, just being just are. being pissy, like on nights like last night, or you know, losing to teams you shouldn't lose to. You know, talking about effort. Should I be a little less pissy considering I said forty five wins and that's still a target? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you. I don't think you should be less, just because the fact is they have to win these kind of games. There's too many games that they have they've had against teams under five hundred that they've lost. So. I, I personally understand your frustrations. It's very frustrating to watch them just play so flawlessly, not flawlessly, but really close to flawless against Dallas and just kind of put the clamps down. And then they come out and just underperform against Toronto. And maybe it's overlooking them. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But I just think at the end of the day, this is a team that has to continue to mature. And it is frustrating when they don't do it. And I think Pascal said it like, right. Like, yeah, these teams might be worse record wise, but they're still in the NBA. They still have, talent and anybody can be anybody on any given night but i think if the Pacers are really trying to separate themselves as a team at the top versus a team in the middle they've got to win those games so yeah i i completely think that your frustrations with this team and their bad losses is justifiable because as a fan myself i, I get frustrated seeing them be so inconsistent and that's what makes it hard to believe like fully in what they can do so Alice Golden setting the pace at Alice Golden NBA. You can find him on uh, X um, at Pacers Pod STP, and uh, you can find the Blue and Golden dot Substack dot com for uh, other stuff as well with Alex Golden too. I it's uh, I, I guess maybe forty five wins is what I'm thinking about, but it just seems like that at this point they have left unfortunately a lot on the table, which does lead to that particular disappointment. Hey, by the way, too, Alex, so explain this to me. Last night, I thought I'd get some anti-Miles stuff. I mean, 16 and 11, okay. I mean, he took the bench at the end of the game. They go small, and obviously that didn't help. But that's how Rick wanted to play that down the stretch. And I thought last night I'd take some. But I took some from idiots when he goes 33 and 8 and that went over Dallas on Sunday. So I take – 33 and 8 from people with anti Miles stuff after that win, and then nothing last night in a disappointing loss in which I don't know if they, I don't think they took him off the floor because he was ineffective. I think they took him off the floor because they wanted to match up better with Toronto. Either way, it didn't work, but I didn't take anything on that loss last night. Yeah, that is a little bit surprising. I saw the people chirping at you. After he had the great game, which didn't make any sense to me. I think but, it's a there's uh, Pacer Digest people. Does that still exist? Pacers Digest. It's just a bunch of no basketball knowing nerds. Does that still <laughs> I exist? Don't think it does. I don't think it does, but I do know people that were a part of that that have been on our show as fans of the week to to test their Pacers trivia out. And there are some that I think really know their Pacers trivia and some that have not performed so well. So kind of gives you an idea of, you know, some are good on there, some are not, but Anyway, I mean, he gets blamed for he gets blamed for everything. Yeah, that's just the thing. He gets he gets no credit when he plays well. He gets all the blame when they don't every single time. And I I think that just comes from knobs. No basketball knowing knobs. (laughs) No, and I agree with that. I mean, I I think the only thing that hurt Miles' case was he wasn't at the podium after that game against Dallas. I did not understand that. Like they put Tyrese and Mathurin up there, and I felt like Tim Hart and Turner were the two best players in that game against Dallas. So. I was a little bit surprised that he. I, you think that bugs game. him though? I don't think that bugs him, does it? I don't think it bugs him, but I don't think it helps his case for all these people that are like, "Oh, yeah, he didn't even get the podium game." You know what I mean? So, uh, people look for everything to make a big deal about it. You know how fans are when they're when they're haters and things like that. So. He can't even make Lego models. Why can't you even do that? 
I mean, he can't even do that. People, just let him live his life. I mean, if I could build Legos like he does, heck, I'd be doing it all the time. I just don't have the patience for it. So, you know what? He's got the patience. He's got the paycheck, and he can make all that stuff. So, I think, hey, I think it's pretty awesome. I've always found it incredibly stupid of some dumbasses here that take a dude that loves being here, loves playing here, really enjoys being a part of it, does everything even outside of basketball off the floor, and to some of these jackasses treating them in the fashion in which they do is just ridiculous. It just is. And that's just yeah. it just goes to show you what kind of dumbasses we're dealing with. It definitely does. And I, and I think next year it's only going to get worse because he'll be in that contract here once again if he doesn't get an extension. So it can get worse? Wait a minute. Tell me. This can get worse? No. Uh, you're going to hear more trade rumors next year if he doesn't get an extension then in the offseason. So it's going to be a long uh, 365 days for you, JMV. But, uh, yeah, uh, before I go, though, I have yes. to ask because we had Jeremiah Johnson on the podcast. And I, I know you were down, so maybe you didn't see the tweets. But he brought up how incredible Rack's roast beef place is. I've actually never been to Rack's. Uh, he was talking about the infamous chocolate chip milkshake and how great yeah. it is. And wanted to get your opinions on it because he said, you got to talk to JMV about this yes. the next time you get the opportunity. Rack's so, is one of the, the greatest places of all time. It's still located. They have locations still in Ohio, maybe a couple in Kentucky, but not very many. And I maintain if somebody with deep pockets – would bring one to central Indiana around here that it would be a money-making machine. Have you ever come across anybody that's ever said a bad word about racks? Never, ever. It would print money if somebody could bring racks in a location to central Indiana. Absolutely print money. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't heard anybody say anything bad about it because first time I've heard anybody talk about it was JJ on our podcast. Well, they're they're famous for their their bacon beef bacon and cheddar. Now, uh, we used it used to go by the initials, which in our world in which we live now, you you can't do that anymore. Apparently, I found that out last year when people laughed at me about it. But um, that is their famous sandwich. But you're right, the milkshakes are top notch. Racks, nobody's ever had a bad word about it. They used to be here everywhere. Small towns like Bedford, obviously Bloomington in and around Indy, and they're no longer in Indiana, but if somebody were to bring it back, it would print money. Guaranteed. Well, I'm all for it, JMV. You start the petition. I just want to try the chocolate chip milkshake. I even thought about making a trip to Kentucky or Ohio Yes. to, to get it, just so I can say I've had it. The BBC sounds incredible. I mean, beef, bacon, and cheddar. Who doesn't yeah. like that? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a fat boy, so I like fattening foods. It sounds right up my alley. So it is. Uh, it is great I'm now. And I got a friend named Jim Romanak and his lovely wife Sarah. When they go to West Virginia, they come back and bring a, a bag full of racks for me. So it's always wow. awesome. So yes, it is. Uh, it is beyond legit. And if somebody has deep pockets and can open up a location, bring it back. People always talk about In-N-Out Burger. If they could ever get that here, that that would work. Racks would work equally to that. People would flock mm. to it. You would print money easily. All right, JMV. Well, let's right, start buddy. the petition. Let's, let's try to get somebody <laughs> with some money to get it for us. You man. don't have to travel out of state. <laughs> Alex, I appreciate you, man. Thank you. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Our friend Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Where, as of right now, and I know there's still season to go, and I had said that if they lose out, then all bets are off about Mike Woodson remaining on as the head coach into next year. Where do you think he is right now? Do you think they're more leaning on keeping or more leaning on maybe trying to do something about to expedite him out of there as the head coach, as of right now? I think as of right now, he will be the head coach next year. If there's not another win on the schedule, we're maybe having a different conversation. Um, clearly, it has not gone as as well as would be hoped. Far from it. Um, the last few weeks have been, I wouldn't say catastrophic, but uh, but far from good. But I don't think you're to the point yet where you have to make a coaching change yet. But obviously, I'd like to see a bit of a change of direction if possible. Yeah, no doubt about that. And, and it just, I would have to think that because of the streak that they're on and what could be that the thought is there more than it certainly has been. And it's probably not being completely considered, but maybe the wheels are a little bit in motion now, considering where this team is. True. And again, at some point in time, even a program that I think from a basketball standpoint has more resources than most, you're still paying Tom Allen. You've just got a new football coach under contract. I realize you can go to donors and collect some money. I, I know the way the world works. But at some point in time, there's an economic reality to having to pay multiple coaches, and I'm not sure you can do that in your two biggest sports simultaneously. Or at least if you get a year further into it, you're looking at a lot less of a price tag going in both directions. At what point do you look at Scott Dolson and you go, how much are we doing here? I mean, that's like multi-millions of dollars that you're talking about here. If they were to execute a plan like that regarding Woodson, that can't be good for the AD. It's not, and I like Scott a great deal. And and so I hope nothing but the best for him. And, and again, we're clearly going to find out August, September, et cetera, in terms of Kurt Signetti. That's a, a hiring I think he got right. Um, and a lot of folks felt the same way about Mike Woodson. Uh, and it just obviously has gone downhill rapidly in year number three. Again, uh, I, I think it is still very much more Mike's going to be the head coach next year at Indiana University. I really feel that way. But having something of any kind of positive momentum would be required over the last two or three weeks. Of the so Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore on the Motive Group Hotline. Uh, IU Wisconsin, by the way, later on tonight down in Bloomington, 93 WIBC or the Peacock, I'm assuming, for your coverage this evening. So you and I going to Holman Center, Indiana State, coming up on Sunday, correct? We are road tripping, uh, and the Sycamores have a chance to play for their first undisputed Missouri Valley Conference championship in 24 years. That's a big damn deal right there, sir. If they win their last two games, they will be the sole holders of the Missouri Valley Conference regular season championship for the first time since 2000. It's a big deal, buddy. Big deal right there for them and that program. And Josh, who, by the way, will join me coming up on Thursday. Evansville and uh, yeah, Murray State, even with some of the disappointment you know, that they've had recently, obviously at home against Illinois State, on the road against Southern Illinois, uh, this has been an incredibly special year to this point for that group. 
Absolutely. And to put it in perspective, that 2000 Missouri Valley Conference Championship, that's the only one since 1979, John. I mean, that that's it. Um, and so even though, you know, Greg Lansing got in that program to a point of success, um, you know, obviously Royce Waltman, you know, had that, had that great run because after 2000, 2001 was the next year when they went to the tournament and won a game and beat Oklahoma before then losing to Gonzaga. There were other high points, but banners have been hard to come by for that program since they made the move from the small college level 50 or so years ago. Uh, and so anytime that we can be talking about, hey, you're a potential NCAA tournament team and you're a potential Missouri Valley Conference champion, that means it's been a heck of a year in the Wabash Valley. It also just seems like this this could, for teams like that, especially mid-majors, could dry up in a minute. I mean, from year to year, I'm assuming that this is with the power conferences too because you have to re-recruit your own every single year while also bringing in you know fresh, new, talented players. But especially for the mid-majors, from year to year, you just don't know, do you? That was a really good question, Greg. Well, unfortunately, you went out on me for about 10 oh, seconds, but thankfully, I, 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 did. J- I just got it back. So well I think I heard most of the questions. Yes. In other words, it's tough to keep a team like this together at this level. Correct. Saying, correct? It, I, think it, I think it will be incredibly tough for those that can hang around to get them to hang around as opposed to maybe try a different level. I think that's going to be very difficult. The only thing that I would say is this. you got to remember there are two guys that, and um, there, there might be more, but Julian Larry back from last year, Kent back from last year, Avila back from, la- from last year. And I don't have their exa- – I know that Avila is a sophomore. Forgive me on, on Kent and, and Larry in terms of what eligibility they have left. Guys like Swope as well as uh, Conwell, those are guys that, that this is their second transfer. Now, I know that, that second-time transfers were kind of given a waiver – but you wonder if the NCAA changes that because the originally was like, hey, you get the first transfer for free, the second one you got to sit here. In other words, if they were to move someplace else, there would be kind of a penalty that is involved with that. Other thing that I would say is this, and, and you know this is coming, it's not, it's not just the players, the programs are trying to poach, it's the head yes. coach and the coaching staff as no well. Doubt. So you are right. A lot of these will be, um, will, will be one-year comments. It'll be tough to kind of back that up at this level. Well, and we think about Josh and you think about Matt Graves. You know, somebody else too that's had experience as a head coach collegiately too that's right next to Josh Schertz on that bench that could easily be poached. Absolutely. Uh, and I and I I know there's a little a little chatter about him, let's just put it that way. Yeah, I figured you would know that there's a little bit of chatter about him. So yep, I yep, you yep. Would, I'm not going to put it all out there for you to explain, you. <laughs> but I figured you would know that there's a little yeah, bit of yeah. chatter. So, yep. so, so, Some things we can't report on the air just yet, John. Let's put it that I way. I understand. Greg Rakestraw is with us. Normally these Tuesday nights to open up boys' sectional play, some of the most compelling of the tournament itself throughout the state of Indiana. And we have the luxury of having some really good Tuesday nighters tonight, don't we? We do. Uh, Mount Vernon and New Pal. Obviously, Fishers and Carmel. The game that I will have, I'll be camped out at Lawrence North all week long, uh, will be Warren Central and Lawrence Central, a repeat of last year's opening night in sectional 10, which was won by Warren Central on a buzzer beater. Um, there's other great games across the area tonight. But frankly, I'm, I'm not sure I've seen a year where there are three sectionals in 4A like the ones we have this year, where you've got sectional 8, sectional 9, sectional 10, 
that are all so significantly loaded. If you went a little further south, uh, sectional 15, which is the Seymour sectional, Jeffersonville and Seymour may be the two best teams in that section. They play each other tonight. Seymour has not won a boys basketball sectional in 32 years. They've served as the congenial host. They have actually had a chance to finally kind of take advantage of that home court advantage uh, if they can get past a, a good Jeffersonville team that maybe isn't playing their best basketball right now, but still will be a tough out for the Owls. So all across the state, there are phenomenal games. But, again, the fields in central Indiana and 4A are so good. There's not much of a need to look past Marion County, Hamilton County, Hancock County over the course of the next few days. I just think about Noblesville, and really the, the basketball programs with Noblesville have been fantastic this year. And you know, obviously, game number two tonight with Carmel and Fishers, it has been truly a tale of two seasons, has it not? In one season for Carmel this year, I was doing the Carmel game heading into the Pike contest. They were four and nine on January the nineteenth, and they are twelve and ten as you and I are having that conversation. I kind of saw it start to turn kind of at the end of December, and frankly, even before that. They played Kokomo to, to, and really played them tough into the fourth quarter before they lost on December the 16th. And that kind of gave you an idea, hey, maybe this isn't a lost season just yet. They beat a good Evansville-Harrison squad on December the 29th. Um, and you said, all right, maybe there's something there. Uh, they got to the middle of January and got through a rugged part of their schedule. Say, all right, maybe, maybe there's something to this. Then they go out and beat back-to-back undefeated teams in, in a span of five days, beating Fishers, then Lawrence North, and they have used that as a catapult. Their lone loss is in a Hamilton Southeastern team that nobody's talking about, but John Ashworth has done a really good job at HSE, but they might be the fourth or fifth best team in their own sectional. That's how good that group is, so... Um, Fishers knew they had to get past Carmel at some point in time. Fishers has not won a boys' basketball sectional since that school reopened and split off from Hamilton Southeastern 17 years ago. Uh, They're number one in the state. You've got Noblesville, Westfield. Those are the top three teams in the state of Indiana going into this week, and any of them can win that sectional. But frankly, I kind of think HSE or Carmel could too. So those games at Nobles were going to be just tremendous over the course of tonight, Friday night, and Saturday night. So Greg Rakestraw with us. Before I let you go, speaking of tremendous, I know both professionally and personally you had one hell of a Saturday, didn't you? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I was I graduated three years before the start of, uh, of, of multi-class sports. And so, you know, my dream playing in Lanesville was to win a sectional championship. And the closest that we got – in tennis, we got beat by the sectional champs three, two back-to-back years uh, in basketball, and I stopped playing basketball after my sophomore year. So I was I was a an interested participant or, or a spectator, I should say. Um, we got beat by New Albany by six in their building in the sectional final in '94. We won 18 games. They made it to the final four, and that was some of that group played in the state championship game. You know, two years later at, at the RCA Dome. Uh, so you always kind of wondered, hey, how far can we have taken that? Well, my high school has won five single-class sectionals in their history. They have now appeared in five state championship games in the class era. I've been on the call of four of those, including the last three in which they have won, and I had multiple relatives that were on the team. Uh, and so being around to see that, and, and now that I'm at an age where you know it's, it's my friends that I grew up with, it's their kids that are winning these state championships 
kind of like that line from Hoosiers, John, like me and you going to the moon uh, is kind of what it's like. I still can't believe uh, I'm used to calling state championship games, but not involving like people that I know or the kids that I have seen grow up. And so to be a part of that the last couple of years is uh, I'm not even sure somebody that is a wordsmith like me has words to accurately describe what that feeling is, has been like those last two Saturdays in February, the last two years. Ah, no, it was it was awesome. I thought Saturday across the board was awesome, too, because I, I got a chance to see LC play a second half against Plainfield the week prior at Southport before Grove and Franklin played, and you could tell how talented that group was, and they went out there and showed that on Saturday night. Yeah, and LC's a great story because, obviously, historically, they have not been a, a, a great girls' basketball program um, but that they're going to be good for the next couple of years. The Lampley sisters that are one's a sophomore, one's a junior. It's kind of a big four. Naya McKenzie, Layla Abdur-Rakib, uh, two juniors and two sophomores, I think, of that group. Uh, and so they will be the heavy favorites next year. The 4A state championship game really was kind of the, the LC Center Grove game. And unfortunately, kind of an injury late in that game to Center Grove may have decided it. Not saying CG would have won it. One of those great, you'll never type a no you're never going to know type of things uh, from the semi-state. The team that may have the best chance to get LC in 4A next year is their rivals in Lawrence North. They played three times this year. LC won them all, and I think they won by a combined 12 points in those four games, and LN brings back most of their team. So um, it's going to be one to watch when we get back to the girls' basketball season eight, nine, ten months from now. All right, so I'll meet you at the Coachman on Sunday, correct? Correct, and because we just gave them that free publicity, they should have no problem letting you leave your car at the Coachman as you and I drive over to Terra. I will, and and I'm very easy to find. <laughs> very easy to know what I am driving to most of the time. So, yes, the Coachman, we will be parking in your parking lot coming up on Sunday on our way to Terra. Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline uh, tonight and basically the rest of the week through the weekend in sectional play at uh, Lawrence North with uh, Greg and company this evening. Greg, appreciate you. We'll see you on Sunday and head to Terre Haute. All right. Thanks, John.